0: you damn right.
1: That's my guy.
0: <laughs> what up, what up, what up, everybody? Welcome to Fire 5. I'm Steve Horny from Integrated Health Sciences, and I would like to welcome you, Mike Lella, to our webcast. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing excellent. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure and an honor. You're a great coach, and I think everyone's going to benefit. So I'm going to start to tell your story from my eyes, and then I want you to tell everything else about it. and Spare no detail, because people are here to hear you speak. I'm sure they want the context of how you learned what you learned. So I only know you because you're a great coach. Simply put, Um, I I interviewed Lev last week, which everyone was here, which was pretty cool. Thanks for showing up. And Lev is your business partner. And I asked him kindly the question, what does your business partner do better than you? And he was quick to say, one, you have magnificent hands, which is just great. Congratulations. I wasn't born with that gene. You were congrats way to go. The other thing is he said, you are a great coach. You're a great power, powerlifting coach and a great Olympic lifting coach. And so I went into my little like, all right, because I take a ton of my CSCS, my CSF, CFSC, Mike Boyle, sir, with Brendan Rierick, Kevin Carr, those guys are great. Um, just taking so many courses on how to lift because as you and I talked about before off camera, like you need to have those cues that you can just call on because there's nothing more frustrating than when you're hitting a cue and it's just not resonating. So I went into your Instagram and found some really nice coaching. Not only do I like what you have to say, but I also like the way that you say it. So that's who you are in my eyes. Um, For anyone else, like that's how we got on this, and then through the last week, we've been catching up and realizing that our philosophies tend to jive pretty well. But that's you and my eyes. Fill in the rest. Take us all the way back and bring us all the way forward.
1: All right. Well, uh, as you said, you know, Lev and I own Movement Minded Physiotherapy, and um, to be honest, when we first started our company it was more of a physical therapy business and now we've just grown so much more into just movement and i think a lot of that has come from the fact that my history and lev's history is so deeply rooted within movement um for myself i played sports my entire life um every sport you can think of and i think that that's a big part of the reason why i'm able to cue people and sort of get things out of them that maybe another coach pt teacher would not be able to get um now for myself i i think with powerlifting with olympic lifting my original experience came um, years ago and i worked out with the, with an olympic or powerlifting coach and to be honest, it was kind of a spur of the moment thing. Mm-hmm. I was um, I was working out at my old high school gym. I went to Chaminade on Long Island for oh, any-
0: Oh, program right there, one of the greatest.
1: Yes. Yeah, I played lacrosse there, played football, wrestling. Um, and uh, when I was there, they were in the middle of building their mm-hmm. physical fitness center, which mm-hmm. was a gorgeous state of the art gym. And what we, what we were able to do, I, my, I believe it was my senior year, we were able to play around a little bit in the gym. And then when we graduated, they told us it's available to all alumni. So basically, the summer of my senior going into freshman year of college, that's when I revisited the gym, started working out there all the time, and I had crossed paths with a powerlifting coach that was on track and field team. And I started training a few people, I asked him if he was willing to train uh, myself and a friend of mine, and we just dove right into it. And to be honest, a lot of what this guy told me stuck with me so deeply throughout the years. And I've implemented so many of those things with other clients and patients of my own, and it's been really, really successful. I've never really considered myself to be an Olympic powerlifting coach. Uh, because, as you said, you named a couple of these guys that just have letters upon letters upon letters after their name. Um, I am not in that boat, at least not in the powerlifting community. Um, but I do have some experience of my own doing those lifts and absolutely grinding through those details with a very, very experienced powerlifter. The, the coach that I learned from uh, has competed in the Highland Games. Many many times before and for anyone who's not sure of what the highland games are It's basically a version of the world's strongest man if you've ever seen that Uh, It used to I fell in love with those lifts many many years ago When the world's strongest man used to be on espn2 at about three in the morning.
0: (laughs) I recall it Like magnus or magnuson was just the dude.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly and uh, man, I found that stuff so incredibly interesting because i began lifting weights um with with my closest friend when i was i honestly believe i was 12 years old uh and you know we began with just some simple stuff push-ups pull-ups i got a pull-up bar in my house and i was just pumping out pull-ups every single day and night and started getting more and more into it wanted to go to a gym but was you know too young and so i just begged my parents for a, uh, a flat bench and I was like, let me let me just start there. I can work from there. And man, we had some pretty epic workouts in that in my garage. This was long before we we learned what to do and what not to do. So a lot of those workouts started with I would say a hundred sets of bench press.
0: <laughs> Why not? Just
1: kind of kind of just going from there. But that's what I think really resonates with me, is just the fact that I've learned through experience. And As I said, I started working out so many years ago and I've tried so many different styles of working out, forms of working out. I was very fortunate enough to become a member uh, at a local gym on Long Island. Uh, It was called Ultimate Gym and it's in Hicksville, New York. Uh, I know COVID, they, they took a big hit and I believe that they're trying to get back up onto their feet right now. And I hope that they are because I still to this day have never been to a gym like that one. You know one of the biggest reasons why is because when i began working out at that gym i was taken so many different guys there took me and my buddy under their wing and they were like hey guys do it like this don't do it like that uh what are you trying to get out of that i would try that like this mm-hmm. um, and at the time because i had no other prior experience i just thought that's how gyms were, and i was like man this is amazing uh you know you go to the gym you don't really know what's going on and people are just teaching you and showing you what to do and hey jump in on a set over here and you know let me show you what's going on only after many many years of working out and going to different gyms did i realize how rare that truly is and you know in hindsight some of the advice may not have been perfect okay. you know certain guys they they hit the gym and they they learn from their own experiences right so they they tell you what works for them so right. I tried some stuff that worked for this guy, that guy, the other, ended up tweaking it to make it work for myself. And through those tweaks, I think I learned a lot about why those tweaks are important and how when you're queuing people through lifts, you have to keep it in mind that they're not a textbook. Mm-hmm. This is the exact same thing that I had to learn when I became a physical therapist. You learn all of this great information in grad school. You think you know it all, you think you're prepared. And then, man, if it's not patient number one, it's probably patient number two who immediately throws you a curveball, and you're okay. just there thinking, wait a minute. But when a patient has this, they present in this way, why are they saying this? And you have to start to uh, roll with the punches a bit more.
0: Yeah, that's it. I feel like to, to parallel our stories, um also like wrestling football across so so same things across here also my dad always had a weight bench in the basement and i would always enjoy just like going down there and doing things um would go to a ymca camp which was awesome i don't ask me but i mean like i really loved playing hoops when i was younger clearly wrestling was where i was supposed to end up going but either way was at the YMCA a lot, started to lift there. And, and that was before lifting was cool. That was where the YMCA had a lot of cardio equipment and they had a lot of the Cybex. And the Nautilus was actually really popular because the Nautilus, they could do that air resistance. And it was just cool. Who cares if it was good or bad? It was cool. And so everyone wanted to be there, but in the basement was where the workout room was. And it was like, I, it's, what's actually funny is that there's two people that I met later in life that we knew that we had met in that weight room. Cause it was just such a small community. It wasn't like there were 50 people in a CrossFit today where everybody's doing it and it's really fun. It was just, I remember I saw a guy with bleeding shins and he, cause he was deadlifting. He was doing a sumo style deadlift. And I remember just being like, what is going on here? And like now that wouldn't be uncommon whatsoever. And I ended up running into that guy later in life. And I I remember being like, oh, you're the dude with the bloody shins. Like, oh, is that the bloody shins? And then, yeah, it wasn't that cool until now it's obviously become very popular. But I I always think, because I, I was always good, but never great when it came to athletics, I had to work really hard. And it's the same thing with academics, actually. like I was always a good student, not a great student. And I had to work really hard to make sure that everything made perfect sense in my mind to log it. And I almost think that because I'm not, I, I I grew up in that environment. I liked it, but I didn't have a ton of excellent coaching when I was younger that I had to work for it. And so that then once I, I if I could learn a lift and really learn it and embody it, then I could teach anyone. But it was, it, it took like that many courses before I felt comfortable and that many books that I read and that many wormholes that I would go in about like, what's the foot, like, how should my weight be distributed in my foot on a squat? Like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And, and it, and it's the ultimate answer. Like it depends, but in order for you to break the rules or to share both sides, you have to know the rules on both sides. And that's where I think it's fun. And that's where I'm excited to kind of get your algorithm and your, and how your mind goes, because you're absolutely right. When it comes to physical therapy, I mean, there is, you, you read this, I thought I was a better physical therapist the day that I graduated physical therapy school than I do today. Like my, if you would have told me to rank myself on a zero to a hundred scale, I came out of PT school and be like, I'm a 93. Like I learned these tests, I took these tests, I passed this test, like I'm like a 90, and now I'm like, ah, I'm somewhere in the eight, like I'm an 83%, I don't even know because now I've seen so many different versions that I've had stumbles, but then you learn from them. And you don't make that mistake again, but you always have your antenna up for where you could be better. So is there anything you want to add about your bio? That was great. If not, I'm going to actually come off the video, let you take us through. Because the first question is, how do you safely coach these lifts? And I want you to run through and take this and run as far as you want with it.
1: Okay. Well, what I, what I would probably add about my bio is just that the way that you had described that things were sort of challenging for you at a, at, you know, you were good but not great at, at a young age and it really helped you to work so hard. I resonate with that a bit. Um, for me, for me, I was I was very natural at a lot of things, between school, lifting weights. I mean, the pull-up bar that I had mentioned in my house, you know, I I ran by it and I did 10, 20 pull-ups every night, this, that, the other, and then at Chaminade, you know a school where we have four or five hundred kids in each grade all boys i was the pull-up champion in my in my grade every year um and i just i never really learned oh this is how i should do a pull-up i just grabbed the bar and said i'm supposed to bring it to my chest and then make my arms go straight and do it all over again and what i think really happened with me was when i hit a certain age and i started plateauing a lot uh, and i was wondering why and that's when I started revisiting technique, getting a better understanding of what's actually supposed to be happening here. You know, when I, lived, I had a very simple mentality of, well, I got to bring the bar from here to there, so let's do it. Uh, and that worked for me. It really did. It worked for, for a good number of years. And then when it didn't work anymore, I felt like I was hitting a crossroads with working out, where if you plateau for an extended period of time, it starts to weigh on you. And you start wondering, should I just switch up my workouts? You know, maybe working out isn't as fun as it used to be when you're not always getting better. Uh, and I and I run into that so much now with with clients. You know, Mm -hmm. runner Oh, when I first started running I got better and better and better. When I first started Mm -hmm. weight, the weight melted off. When I first started lifting weights, I was stronger every time I went into the gym. And that's an amazing feeling. Yeah. Feeling doesn't last for most people. Especially if you don't truly understand all the nitty-gritty details of what is actually happening when you're working out, uh, if you're just going there to do it, you're eventually going to hit that brick wall, and that's what I feel like we've been we've been really harping on a lot lately. And uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, I, I resonate as well with you know how you said you almost think you're not as good of a physical therapist now. Totally, hundred percent. I'll tell you what. And I hate to downplay grad school because it's, of course, an important step in our process. But, man, I really thought I knew everything. And now looking back, I feel like I knew nothing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or at least closer to nothing than everything for absolutely sure.
0: <laughs> you know what, Okay, and I'm going to pay us a bit of a compliment. I'm not even just trying to, like, bolster us. But, like, isn't that kind of how it's supposed to be? Is, like, that just means we've grown and evolved. Like, sadly, we might one day have a point where we look back and be like, you know what? I really did know what it was five years ago. Like, does that mean that we just kind of stopped challenging ourselves? And I think for you and I as business owners, that is a huge task. It's so hard. There's a million courses I want to take. But I have to deal with insurance companies. There's a million courses I want to take, but I have to keep our website. I have to keep our Instagram. I got to make sure our malpractice is going. I got to make sure everything's good. Uh, there's a pandemic right now. Like all of these things, I think it becomes hard. You and I have that fire. We want to learn. We want to be better. That's great. I think our trouble is to keep the balance between the professional growth long term, keeping the wheels in motion short term that we're both probably going to battle with, but probably do all right with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that sounds. All
0: right. Yeah. So in five years, we'll come back on this podcast or webcast and then we'll see if we think that we're, cause I'm going to put myself in 83. You see where you put yourself as far as the zero to hundred scale. Yeah. We'll, we'll compare scores back then there. So I'm going to let you take it away now, take us through, I'm going to drop out the video so people can see you even just a little bit better and I'll be back. Don't miss me too much. And if you have any questions, everyone in the audience, just ask them right now so that we make sure that we leave, leave enough time at the end to get them. I'll see y'all later
1: yes so i totally agree if you have questions about anything that we're saying or if you joined on because you were hoping we would talk about something just throw it in there um steve and i spoke about this previously and we are more than happy to speak about pretty much anything you guys are interested in so of course a, a huge topic that we wanted to go over today or at least begin with today was olympic lifting and how I cue olympic lifts so I definitely want to go over uh, the cues themselves, what the lifts should look like, feel like, and, and all of this. But what I also want you guys to understand is that cueing goes well beyond the lifts themselves. So a power lifting movement, such as a deadlift, an Olympic lifting movement, su- such as a hang clean or a power clean. Um, if you Google how to do these things, for the most part, you'll find some basic steps on how to complete them. But The devil is in the details right and the details as we said are kind of different for each and every person so what you're thinking what you're feeling how you're getting the bar to do what you want it to do is extremely extremely important you may understand what muscles need to fire how are you getting those muscles to fire what exactly are you thinking about so so for myself because i have played a variety of sports at anywhere from a middle to to a to a high level um, I've I have lifted weights in almost every capacity I have done endurance um, endurance sports such as running uh, I recently bought a peloton I keep getting crazier and crazier with the peloton rides um, my original weightlifting career uh, really began with more of like a bodybuilding approach way way back when if any of you guys remember flex magazine Ronnie Coleman. uh, These workouts and, and this style of working out is extremely isolated. When you go into the gym, your plan for that day is actually naming muscles. You would say, today's back and biceps day, right? And if today is back and biceps day, every exercise that I'm going to do is going to target those muscle groups. And I most likely am trying my best to isolate those muscle groups because that's my plan for that day so if i'm a bodybuilder and i go into the gym and i want to do um deadlifts right i'm probably gonna try to cater my deadlift into more of a hip hinging movement get my lower back involved as opposed to making my deadlift an extremely lower body movement all legs because again my plan for that day is back and Throughout the years of training that way, I started to get very, very good at feeling one specific area, changing the lift so that I could feel just that one side. But powerlifting and Olympic lifting is extremely different. It's a little bit more like athletics. You're not isolating necessarily one muscle group. You're trying to target a movement pattern. And that movement pattern involves a variety of muscles. Now, what I usually like to do with uh, my clients or my patients when I cue powerlifting, the first thing I wanna do is I wanna ask them what's their history with lifting, okay? Do they have experience with Olympic lifting or powerlifting? And if they do, what is their level of experience? Have they ever been taught um, specifically by a coach? Have they self-taught themselves online? Do they just walk up to the bar and do whatever they think feels and looks like the lift that they're attempting to replicate? Um, This is extremely important because Because I've experienced so many different styles of working out, so many different styles of athletics, I feel like I know how to put myself in that same mental space as the person that I'm trying to cue. So my cues are not always going to begin the same. My very first cue for person A could be completely different than my very first cue for person B. That's why I want to make sure that I'm starting in some sort of a realm that that person can understand, whether it's wording or just the concept itself of how we want the body to move. So the other thing that I would immediately go towards is Olympic lifting, powerlifting, and of course, just working out in general requires mobility. Do you even have the proper mobility within your body to complete the lift that we're about to coach you through. So it's not just about technique. It's not just about, uh, the bar, the path of the bar and where we're going. It's really about, do you have the ability to move your body in the direction and in the, um, the range, the, the amount of that direction that you can actually go in before we do this lift. So when I start queuing people for Olympic lifts, I go through mobility drills. And mobility drills can be a, an hour, hour and a half long topic in and of itself, all different stuff that you can find online for that. But for me, it's more targeted mobility. For example, if you want to do a specific lift, you need your pelvis to do this. Can your pelvis do that? Let me see you attempt to make your pelvis move in these positions because this is going to be something that happens within your entire body when you're doing that lift. A perfect example is just some anterior and posterior tilting of your pelvis. So for any of you guys that are joined in that are not 100% sure of what I'm speaking about when I'm saying that, let me demonstrate just a little bit. So anterior tilting of your pelvis looks like this with a little arch in the back, a little flexion at your hips, and then posterior tilting of your pelvis looks like this when we round the back. Okay, and we engage our core here. So that's extremely important because when you're doing some of these Olympic lifts, you're going to need a little bit of that anterior tilt, a little bit of that posterior tilt. So how am I going to get you to do a complicated head to toe explosive movement if you don't have the actual ability to move your body in these directions? Okay, so that's immediately one of the first things that has to be addressed. Um, now, once we talk about their history of lifting, once we talk about their mobility and if their body is physically capable of performing these lifts, what I usually like to do, which I think is a fairly straightforward, simple approach is to break down the lift into components. So the mobility drills are a good step in the direction for that. We learn how to move our rib cage. What kind of mobility do we have in our shoulder girdle? We we learn how to move our pelvis maybe our range of motion within our knees, within our ankles and our feet. Now, once we break down each and every part of the body and the amount of mobility that we need for these lifts, what we end up doing is then using each part of our body and showing the person, this is what this area of your body is going to be doing during this lift. And what I like to do is I like to essentially go down a checklist, okay? We have the mobility, And now we understand the technique of what's happening within our feet and ankles. Excellent. Let's go down to that next level. Now we're at the knees. Now we're at the hips. Now we're at the pelvis, the rib cage, the head, the neck, the shoulders, everything, all the way from the beginning of the end of the lift. After we break down each and every body part. And if you're able to do these things, what we then do is start putting it all together. When we put it all together, I like to make my client, my patient, go slow. Slow is when you start to feel things. Slow is when your brain starts to understand what's truly happening within your body. Being able to move each part of your body individually is a lot more challenging challenging than people think. And then starting to combine those areas of your body is a bit more challenging as well. And when you go slow, it allows me the ability... To see which area of your body is lagging. You know what I mean? Which area of your body is doing exactly what we coached? All right, man, they got great hips. Amazing. Um, However, they seem to really be lagging in this area. Now I understand where I'm most likely going to have issues and start diving in a bit deeper there. Um, Something that I learned from my powerlifting coach many, many years ago was being extremely strict with weight. I, when I first started uh, powerlifting, I remember on day one, coach asked me, you know, what could you deadlift? And I think at the time I was able to deadlift a little over 400 pounds. And I said, oh, I could deadlift, you know, 405, 420. And he said, all right, cool. Um, Throw 135 on the bar, which is just, you know, one big plate on each side, right? He said, let's get warmed up. Let's see what you got. And I put 135 on the bar and I went for my first warm-up set of deadlifts I did not get the bar more than half an inch off the ground before he said, take all the weight off. We're done. Um, Now, I don't know if he does that with everybody as a as a good coaching tool. But if he doesn't, he should, (laughs) because it was very humbling right off the bat. I think he could smell that. I, I just wanted to lift the universe. And you need patience when you're doing power lifting movements. You have to actually start. Much lower than you think you do. Your lift should feel extremely easy at the very beginning. You should not be challenging yourself. You should not be doing an extremely low number of reps because you're failing. If you want to perform a low number of reps, that's totally fine. In fact, I'm I'm totally on board with that. I know a lot of people, they love to um, dive in and you know talk trash about CrossFit and oh, man, there's probably so many injuries with CrossFit and they don't know what they're doing. I actually think CrossFit, for the most part, has some pretty decent um, principles. The part that they lose me is the number of reps that you're asking someone to perform on such an explosive and complicated lift. So if you ever watch the World's Strongest Man, if you ever watch um, an Olympic powerlifting meet, what you're going to find is that everything is about a one rep max or maybe just a couple of reps. How many times can you do this unbelievable amount of weight, which is most likely going to be five or less? The reason why the reps are so small is not just because the weight is so heavy. It's because the movement itself is extremely complicated. It is explosive and it is not the type of thing that you should be doing for as many reps as possible. If you want to do a bicep curl, How many reps can I get in 60 seconds? I say go for it, because you know what? That last 15, 20 seconds when you're most likely cheating, you're most likely compensating, you're most likely squirming around to get those last few reps up, it's just a bicep curl, okay? Now, yes, injuries can happen during almost any movement in the gym, but a bicep curl, odds are you're going to be all right. When you're doing an Olympic powerlifting move and you have 10 seconds left and you're thinking in your head, I gotta get two more, That is precisely when things break down in terrible, terrible fashion. One thing that I learned when beginning powerlifting is this, if the technique is not flawless, it's not right. So there isn't a, oh, that was 90% good, that was 95% good. That only exists when you're learning the weight, when you're learning how to perform that lift and you have no weight on the bar or you have an extremely low amount of weight on the bar. As the weight starts to increase, You have to make sure that your technique is extremely on point. If your technique is not on point, the injuries that occur most of the time during such explosive lifts with such massive amounts of weight, these are not light injuries that you shake off. You know what I mean? These are injuries that really put you out for a while. And then you start all over again. And that's that's a big, big problem for so many people who try these lifts. So. Let me see here. I have a couple of notes for myself to make sure that I go over these things with you guys. So for the Olympic lifts in general, maybe I'll go through one right now. Uh, I'll go through a, let's say a hang clean. A hang clean is one of my favorite powerlifting movements. Um, It's explosive, feels good. And I really like to, um, it feels good to kind of just throw some weight around, to be honest. But what I love about this movement is how the bar does not begin on the ground. And to someone who's not super experienced, it may look like an upper body lift. Um, now, it's a full body lift, just like all of the power lifting and Olympic lifting movements. Even the ones that you don't think are, trust me, they are. You should be feeling something all over your body. So the hang clean, let's go through it. The hang clean itself. We start in like an athletic position, right? Now your stance, it could be shoulder width apart, slightly more than shoulder width apart. What we're going to do with this lift is you begin with the bar hanging right here at about the mid thigh. And what you're going to do, if I demonstrate the lift right off the bat, it looks more like this. Let me slide back a little bit, give you guys a better angle. It looks like this. Okay, now, Some people catch the bar very low. Some people catch the bar a little bit further up. Something within powerlifting and Olympic lifting that you should know, unless, of course, you're looking to compete. There are variations to these lifts a little bit. So when I do an explosive movement like the hang clean, when I'm performing this lift, there are three major things that I like to coach that are really, really important. Your feet exploding up, getting those heels off the ground. Your hips exploding through your hips and your shoulders shrugging so again i would break these down individually i would have somebody hold the bar and i would tell them that i want them to explode through their feet and get up get their heels up now most of the time when people perform a movement like this it's just a very standard calf raise so what you have to understand which is extremely, extremely important. When you're doing powerlifting movements, especially one like the hang clean, the bar is going up and you should actually be going down underneath the bar at that last moment to catch it. So even though your heels are exploding up off the ground, you don't wanna mentally think about your body necessarily going up, 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 up. Instead, you wanna think about your body exploding into the ground, all right? So when I talk about getting your heels up, what I really try to cue is pushing your forefoot or the front of your foot through the ground. Your heels will still go up, but you won't be necessarily thinking so much about up, up, up. The reason why this is important is because when you start thinking in your mind, oh, I gotta get up, 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 up. Everything starts to float up. And we're trying to explode this bar to a height Where we can get underneath it and catch it but if i keep floating my way up that means the bar's got to get that much higher you know what i mean because now i'm all the way up here and then i got to drop all the way down so we drive our feet through the floor this is also going to provide you more power okay so once we drive our feet through the floor we practice that and it looks like this and we start to hopefully feel how that bar begins to jump a little bit. And what I mean by jump is that you're beginning to feel, which is extremely important, momentum. Powerlifting and Olympic lifting is about momentum. You perform a variety of movements within your body that cause such an explosion of momentum that the bar should actually fly towards the final destination and then that's where it's completed. That's where you go through your technique of catching that bar. Now, when I was taught this lift, something that my coach did that I will never forget, and I continue to do it with my clients because it gives them that same face that it gave me, which is, wow, I did not realize you were talking about momentum like that. Now, what he did was he went through the lift, he exploded the bar by doing all three of these things at once, and then he let go. And when he let go, the bar started to go all the way up towards his shoulders, and then all he did was get underneath the bar and catch it. Now, that's because his feet, his hips, and his shoulders all exploded at the same exact time, and he drove that bar in the proper direction so explosively that he did not need to muscle it. Now, going back to one of the first questions I like to ask people when I cue these lifts, If someone tells me that they have weight lifted for years, but that they were focusing more on bodybuilding, muscle building, I already know that that person is most likely going to try to muscle a lot of these power lifts, a lot of these Olympic lifts. And what I mean by that is exactly what I did when I first learned this lift. I would explode. I would get the bar up to about here with my momentum and then I would start bicep curling it. And it was very, very difficult for me to break that habit. One of the reasons why it was difficult for me to break that habit was because the three main portions of this lift, your feet, your hips, and your shoulders, it is absolutely crucial that they're done correctly and they're done simultaneously. And I was having a difficult time putting these things together at the exact time. So what I was doing, especially with my hips, was I would push the bar forward. Once you push the bar forward, I've got to, I got to pull it back to me, right? So not only am I lifting it up, I'm also trying to get it back to me, or I'm trying to dive underneath the bar. And when you start loading up some serious weight, not a good look. That is not a good idea. If you have to sprint underneath that bar to catch it, it's not, it's not going to happen. So what I was doing, exploding my hips and pushing the bar forward, you want the shortest distance from point a to point b and that's only going to occur if it's an absolute perfect straight line so i don't know if you guys have heard the term uh bar path right this is huge within powerlifting and olympic lifting and what they're essentially saying is is your bar floating around does it go from point a to point b with a curve that has to be eliminated or else you are going to plateau aggressively okay because what you're essentially doing is again you're muscling that weight up and if you're muscling it up your strength is going to truly truly limit you power lifting and olympic lifting is more about technique than it is about strength which is part of the reason why you might see some guys at the gym you know maybe if your gym has a nice platform you see some power lifters or some uh, olympic lifters over at the other end of the gym doing these lifts some of these guys don't look crazy big They most likely have some extremely strong hips and legs, but some of them don't look very big. There's probably a lot of bodybuilders in the gym that look a lot bigger. But when it comes to how much weight they can do for an explosive lift like this, they're going to blow the bodybuilders out of the water because the bodybuilders are not going to be able to create that same bar path, that same momentum because they don't understand the technique. You can only muscle a weight so much. Okay, so again, let's just revisit these three major these three major points. Again, I'm pushing my feet through the ground to get my heels up. I'm exploding my hips. But again, when I explode my hips, I I like to start with a very slight hip hinge so that when I explode my hips, I'm going from somewhere, okay? And when I explode my hips, I wanna make sure that I stop here. I'm not trying to you know, push that bar up and get this big looping movement. I want to explode my feet through the ground, hips there, by engaging my glutes, okay? Once my hips explode, my feet explode, I am simultaneously shrugging my shoulders, okay? All three of these things, if you do them with an empty bar, you will have some reps that feel very, very sloppy and awkward, but then you'll have a couple of really random reps where the bar just jumps. You might feel the bar jump, and you kind of... It just starts to click. You try to repeat that movement over and over and over again. It is so repetitive. It's just the same technique over and over and over again. And once you feel like you're starting to build that momentum, that perfect straight line of point A to point B, you're gonna have your feet, hips and shoulders all simultaneously explode. And then I want you to try that. Let go of the bar for a moment. See if it follows your hands, okay? Because if the bar, is not following your hands all the way up here with no weight on the bar, that means that that there's no chance when you start really loading up some weight that it's gonna get up here, right? It's only gonna get to maybe your belly button, maybe the bottom of your chest, and then how in the world are you gonna catch it up here? There's only two ways you're gonna do that. You're gonna do it by muscling it, which you better have some seriously strong biceps, or you're gonna have to be one of those people that dives underneath the bar and that that is variable there are some people who like to dive underneath the bar there are some others that catch it a little bit higher what i would recommend is that if you're trying to be excellent at powerlifting, you need to learn how to dive underneath the bar because when you start to get that weight really really high even if your technique is absolutely incredible it's going to be extremely challenging to explode feet, hips, shoulders, and take two, three, four hundred pounds from your hips to the very top of your shoulders, underneath your chin, and just catch. Now just to clean up the final portion of the catch, when you catch, you want to get your elbows really far out in front, okay? This is where some of the um, shoulder mobility that I spoke about earlier really comes into play. because. Shoulder mobility, which most people think is just like, oh, I can do this, right? Your shoulders sit on top of your rib cage. And what may, what so many people forget about, including therapists, doctors, other people that you're gonna go to for treatment or just for coaching, is that if your shoulder sits on your rib cage and your rib cage is not very mobile, maybe it's in a weird position and it's very stuck there, your shoulder is always going to be at a disadvantage. That's why there are some people out there, probably some of you that are watching this right now, who if you don't go through an extensive shoulder mobility circuit before you lift weights, you already know it's going to be a bad day. I am huge on mobility drills. I am huge on warming up. But to be honest, if you need to go through a half hour warm up to feel decent before you lift weights, there's clearly something going on within your body that you need to address. And for your shoulders to always feel so stiff that you have to go through some craziness, there's an excellent chance that you need to start paying more attention to what that shoulder is sitting on top of, and that's your rib cage. So when we go through shoulder mobility drills, we go through protraction, retraction, we go through tilting of our rib cage and how that can increase or decrease these movements within your shoulder. So when you're trying to catch, right? When you're trying to catch at the end of a a hang clean, let's say, you want your shoulders to be able to protract so that your hands are comfortably in this position, okay? You wanna be able to right here with your chest still up. A lot of people have difficulty protracting their shoulder and this is when really awkward catches happen hand injuries, wrist injuries, because there are so many people who can't get their elbows up. Many, many people, the only way that they get their elbows up is with an odd shoulder shrug. If you're trying to duck your body underneath the bar, you don't want any of your body going up. You want everything down. You want to scoop underneath that bar, okay? So shoulder protraction, which looks like this, is huge, okay? also some tightness within other musculature like your lats you know there's many many people out there when they go into a shoulder flexion okay which is exactly what we're talking about when we want that catch their lats are so tight that as their arms go up to about here they are forced to start arching their back or else they can't get their arm any higher okay and that's not really what you want so You want to be able to do the soft tissue in some of these trigger spots. Um, And maybe Steve and I can go over that later on in the podcast about what exactly to do when you feel tightness in certain areas or how to find out where you're tight. But this is a huge one. So if you're trying to catch and you can't get those elbows up, you're going to start really, really cocking those wrists back. And when we start talking about more and more weight, man, catching that into your hand and just cranking your wrist back, that's not gonna it's not gonna go well for you. So that right there is a, is a pretty, pretty solid, I would say, breakdown of what I would normally do with somebody within these lifts. Um, and as you go through the lift and you start realizing where your stick points are, you learn so much more about your body, but you have to be open-minded and you have to understand that you're going to find limitations and when it comes down to powerlifting and olympic lifting you cannot be hard-headed and try to muscle your way through these limitations because they're going to decrease your technique and that is going to limit how strong you can get on these lifts so just to bring it full circle when i tried to deadli- when i tried to deadlift 135 in front of my powerlifting coach and he was just like get the weight off the bar we got a lot of work to do He started to clean up my technique, and it actually made me weaker. So when I walked in that day, I was absolutely able to deadlift over 400 pounds with all my meathead friends at my bodybuilding gym. When he told me, I want you to deadlift like this, I was able to deadlift maybe 250, 300 and man, that was a that was a tough pill to swallow. And I don't even consider myself to be that much of an ego lifter. At least, you know, back in the day, I'm sure I was a bit more, but I don't ever remember caring all that much about that. But man, that was really tough. And I had to grind my way back up to 400, but when I got there, I just eased right past my old PR. What I used to think was, man, this is amazing, but I knew it felt like a ceiling. That did not feel like a ceiling anymore at all and i was able to deadlift 500 pounds which i already know i would have never been able to do if this man did not clean up my technique and knock me down a few pegs and let me know you're never going to reach these goals if you're doing it like that so the deadlift i can go over the deadlift for a couple of quick minutes just to make sure that you guys understand what i mean by that as well because this is a the deadlift is a lot more common of a power lift um, than maybe the hang clean is. The hang clean is awesome. I know a lot of guys that do it, but I also know uh, a lot of athletes and meatheads. <laughs> so, so you know, for a lot of you guys out there who are just learning, trying to get into uh, some of this stuff right now, I think the deadlift is an amazing, amazing lift to to master. So, for the deadlift, one thing that you always want to remember is that when you get set up and you're about to lift the bar, you don't want the first thing to move to be your hips and your butt, all right? So I'm gonna break it all down from start to finish, but I just wanna throw that out there because man, if I could name one thing that I see everybody doing wrong, it's the fact that they huff and puff, get ready to lift that bar and then their butt shoots up. And the second your butt shoots up, you're immediately eliminating a lot of these ridiculously important muscle groups that you want to help you with this lift. I know the deadlift is considered like a big lower back exercise, but if you're talking about truly lifting as much as you can, you're not trying to isolate your lower back. You're trying to help your lower back with a lot of other muscles. Okay, so for the deadlift, now for the deadlift specifically, there is a large variety of ways that you can set up for the deadlift a lot of times when you're talking about powerlifting a more narrow stance is considered a more athletic stance i think the only reason for that is because during athletics you're not usually in sumo crazy wide stances there's a bit more of a carryover when your feet are more shoulder width apart or at least that's the um that's kind of the theory behind that so for a more athletic stance you're going to stand about shoulder width apart. Your hands can begin just outside of your knees. You can get your feet slightly wider, and you can have your hands just inside your knees. That right there is considered a modified sumo. So sumo stance in general for Olympic lifts and for power lifts is when you have an extremely, extremely wide stance. Part of the reasoning behind this is because you're you're sort of decreasing the range of motion. And you are allowing yourself to have an easier time going from point A to point B in a very straight line. So if I take an athletic stance, my feet are about shoulder width apart. As you can see, when I bring my hands down to begin this lift, watch how much I have to move. I have to go all the way down here. My hands are about where the bar would be. And then I have to come up, 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 up and lock out. If, however, I take a really wide sumo stance, now my hands are just about where the bar would be, and now it's where I would finish. Again, as far as the bar path, if I take an athletic stance, I have to reach in front of my knees, get my butt back, and as I lift, 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 I have to also lock out, and that does, a lot of times, cause for a bar path that looks like this, as you could see, if my hands, if these are where my feet are, my hands start here. And then I got to go around my knees up towards my waist. If, however, I take that super wide sumo stance, I'm all the way here. I drop down. My knees are open. I don't have to go reach over my knees. I just got to get my butt back. I sink down straight up. Okay. So a lot of times when you're when you're online and you're searching some of these lifts, you're going to see a ton of people with these sumo stances because when you start to go down a rabbit hole like olympic lifting like power it gets addicting you know what i mean and you try different things that work for your body type um many people try sumo stance just because the running theory is that you're going to be stronger in sumo stance and most people who are messing around with olympic and power lifts they're doing it to see how strong they can get <laughs> they're doing it to see how much weight they can lift so You can absolutely mess around with the sumo stance. I am a bigger fan, especially on deadlifts of a modified sumo stance. I find a middle ground between the two that I just demonstrated. And I find that to be extremely, extremely helpful. Um, So when I do this, what it looks like is get my feet a little bit further than uh, shoulder width apart, right? all the way out here. I drop down nice and straight. Grab that bar. I want to make sure I'm, I'm hip hinging. I'm bringing my butt back, keeping my body nice and straight. And then when I try to lift up again, big, big thing. Do not just think of up, 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 up. We want to think of pushing our feet into the ground. Okay. When you think about pulling up to me, and I know that this happens for a lot of other people as well. That's when my butt flies up. And what I mean by my butt flying up is like this. When you come down to start that lift and you're getting ready. And then the first thing you do is this. Once you do this, you have now essentially eliminated your legs from the lift. And the only thing that you have left is your back to just yank that weight up. There are some people who can get away with it, usually at lower weights but it's cringe, it's, it's tough to watch. I know that I've done it myself many, many times, but it's very, very challenging to push all the way through that lift. These are the type of people who have a difficult time maybe at their lockout, because by the time they get the bar close to their lockout, they got nothing left. So if you've ever watched a video of a power lifter take an unbelievable amount of weight off the ground and then have difficulty at lockout, I know for myself, I've thought many times before, if you could get it off the ground, how can you not lock that out? It's because they're grinding, grinding, grinding. And by the time they get that weight up there, there's just nothing left in the tank. So the more muscles that you have that are part of the party, that's going to spread out how much work is being done. And at the top, you're still going to have some left to actually finish that lift. So that right there is pretty much... um, everything that I can throw at you guys in this kind of like short form you know, webcast for what I would do with queuing Olympic lifting. Um, Steven, I don't know if you can throw any questions out there or if there's anything that you can think of that you wanted me to kind of harp on a bit more, but that's kind of what I do with a lot of my clients and patients, even myself.
0: One, that was awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs) Two, if you don't feel like breaking down everything, like, if I'm looking at someone with a squat, I talk about setting their foot, big knuckle into the ground, spin the legs away, spread the ground beneath, ribcage sat down on the pelvis. And this is worth mentioning. I mean, there's people here who don't know us, work with us, but we're very big. The way that we teach is teach them how to set the foot. You don't have to say the cues every single time, like get that so that it's so ingrained. Teach them how to breathe behind the shield. Do that as a first exercise. Teach them how to set the ribs on the pelvis, breathe behind the shield. Then you don't have to tell them every side. Then I can just say, set your foot, set your ribs, pull yourself down towards the ground, let your knees drift forward, and that's fine by me. Like that—that's kind of where my level of comfort is with coaching, as far as like I want the things that need to end up happening consistently to be so ingrained in them. And you can even look back on our Instagram, like we posted all these, like how do we how do we teach a person how to set the foot set the rib cage, set the shoulders, set the hand for a plank, set the hand for a bridge down into the back of the hand. Where do you go as far as, and you don't have to, that deep dive. I mean, seriously, it was so great. Um, go into as much of a deep dive, but can you give us a, a little bit of like a squat and then just your bench, like your favorite things for if you were just two and your average person or where your mind goes, take as much time as you need.
1: Yeah. Um, so one thing that I do with the squat uh, that I notice a lot of people I think do a little bit too much of is the drive the knees out cue mm-hmm. This is again a rabbit hole that we can go down for a long long time But when your knees are bending Your foot is actually supposed to pronate, Which means your arch is supposed to flatten, okay? When your knees are extending or straightening your foot is supposed to supinate and that arch comes up. Now here's the problem. When I'm doing a squat, if I'm driving my knees out 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 out, what usually ends up happening is your foot either wants to lose the ground or or the arch gets pulled up like crazy and you're bending your knee while supinating, which is not normally supposed to be what occurs there. Now the reason why so many people say drive the knees out, drive the knees out, is because that's a good way to engage the glutes. Mm-hmm. And so many of us, from an extremely basic level to a, even even some of the more um, advanced levels, the glutes are major major muscle groups that we don't use enough of. And when you're doing some of these Olympic lifts, you don't want them to be all lower back. You want to lose the the legs, and knees out is, is helpful, but you don't want that to be something that drives your entire movement, okay? So for squatting, what I like to say is, make sure that your knees are not crashing in. There's a difference between a slight amount of inward movement within your knee during pronation as you hit the hole versus crashing, okay? Now, without going too crazy with that, what I would say is when you're squatting, you wanna make sure that you maintain neutral positions. So when you're here and you start going down, okay? I know a lot of people have always queued to look up, look up, look up. That cue is made to kind of make sure that your chest stays up, okay? What I don't want is too much of this chest up idea and then I'm essentially squatting with my back, mm-hmm. okay? I want to make sure that i'm maintaining a bit more of neutral positions so this is where it comes into play where i would show somebody how to rotate their rib cage here and here and then i want them to get a feel for where that middle ground is and when you're in that middle ground you want to stay there okay so when you're watching some uh, some bigger lifters lift you may hear someone scream stay tight stay tight stay tight can be a variety of things but for me Stay tight means hold the positions that we spoke about with these major, major areas of your body, your pelvis, your rib cage, your skull. These things are constantly playing on each other. And if one of them is tilted out of whack, a lot of muscles are being pulled way too much or way too little, and that's not what we want. So for the squat, again, I just say, I want you to stay neutral. When you're in the hole here, I want you to push your feet through the floor Okay, when you're pushing your feet through the floor, you're gonna explode much faster, you're gonna feel your glutes a heck of a lot easier, and it's also going to help you at the finish. So this is true for the squat and the deadlift. I see a lot of people finishing their lifts like this.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Or like this. Now what I find really, really interesting about what I just did is When you're doing that, where are you driving that from? If I am driving through my hips and my butt, my hips are actually gonna push forward a little bit, and it looks like this. But if I was never taught what to feel and what to actually do, and I saw somebody at the gym or online finishing their lifts with this big dramatic hip movement, What I may end up doing, if I'm the type of person who's loading way too much into my lower back, I may push my hips forward with my back and it looks like this. And for some of you guys watching that, you may have just said, what the hell was the difference between those two? (laughs) But for someone with more of a keen eye, there's a major difference between those two. The first one is power, it's clean, it's gonna allow you to get stronger in a safe way. And that second one is a disaster waiting to happen. You know what I mean? So those are the things that I harp on so, so much. I just like diving directly into the biggest mistakes that I see all the time because I wanna tackle that immediately. I don't wanna wait until you got 250 on the bar and I'm like, oh man, no, 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 I want you to get out of that pattern. Like I wanna do that on day one. So same thing for the bench press. As I mentioned before, all of these lifts are full body movements for the bench press. You want to feel your legs. You want to feel your glutes. So when you're lying across the bench, and I know I do this, I do this myself as as well as many other people, we kind of float around. Maybe your feet are on the bench. Then they're on the side. They're kind of wiggling around as you squirm to try to get the weight up. When you're doing a legitimate powerlifting or Olympic style bench press. You want to drive through the floor. You want to feel your hamstrings because you're going to act like you're dragging your feet back, but your feet are not actually going to go anywhere. And that's going to get the hamstrings to fire up. You should feel the back of your legs. You should also squeeze your glutes. When you squeeze your glutes, you're going to solidify that that bottom half of your body and it's going to help you really direct all of the energy towards the bar because what a lot of people don't realize with all the wiggling and moving that we do while we're lifting you're not you're no longer having all of your energy go from point A to point B in a really really clean manner there's a lot of this and that and this and that and when it comes down to powerlifting and olympic lifting we're talking about low reps immense amounts of weight for you right and when you're doing that, there's no room to wiggle. There's no room to say, I know a lot of my energy is going this way, but what about this way for a minute? And then we'll come back. Nope, that's where you fail. You need point A to point B, that's it. So when you lock that bottom half in, that's huge. Um, another massive portion of all of these lifts is just breathing, being able to take that big inhale and really brace yourself. And you know, because powerlifting and Olympic lifting is so focused on that big, big, big inhale, something that I absolutely love to do with people, everyone, but especially big lifters is exhale. Mm. not necessarily doing the exhale while we lift, but we're learning what that feels like. And we're trying to make sure that we can build up this area and we can also shrink that area because we want that full body control. It seems to resonate a lot more with bodybuilders, people who are worried about aesthetics, You know, a lot of power lifter guys, they they got that big uh, chest is out, arched back, and it's very difficult to get them to truly exhale and get that core on. Um, So that can be a tricky spot for some people, but once they do it properly and they learn how to control that area of their body, they lift more. And that's really all most power lifters and Olympic lifters care about. If you can get them to lift more weight, they're going to do whatever it is that you say.
0: Awesome. So... Mine goes a couple of different places. And I kind of want to hear your thoughts. And this isn't, this is just you and I nerding out. This is your experience, my experience. So uh, we say this a lot is like playing spin the bottle at a family reunion. We're trying to create tension here. And I think that that's something that's been lost in modern day yoga, but was very present in the early teachings of yoga. And their philosophy in, in this knee valgus pandemic is something we talked about two episodes ago with Jake Boley, one of the writers. He's the man of uh, 1700 articles for, he wrote for Barben for a while. He's awesome. You would love him. Great dude. Wish him luck right now. He's going cross country, Godspeed. And so we were talking about tension and I do feel like people driving their knees away doesn't touch the problem, and I'll show the rabbit hole real quick. The way that it's cued in yoga, for pretty much every asana, is that you have a root point and you're spinning away to create tension. So if there's a front, let's say that there's a lunge that you're in, you're in a high lunge, that first foot, the one that's in front, the big knuckle is gonna be rooted into the ground and the leg is gonna be spun. And then let's say it's a warrior pose where the leg is in a different position here where your foot's touching here you're going to root that fifth or that outside of that toe, that kind of fifth knuckle down into the ground, and then spin that leg forward. And it's all with the purpose of not even putting the knees necessarily in the right position, though I think that that's like a nice bystander. It's actually to get enough tension in your lower body that you have enough irradiation to get to the pelvic floor, which they talk about as the abundance, which is a really interesting kind of cool – you know, like Dan John kind of like brought the goblet squat my way. And that was kind of who I studied and read books on. But that's just a typical asana. That's I, I believe it's, I think, malasana is, is what's like a, a straight up goblet squat. Like it's no different at all. But we Westerners like to put our little kind of like term on it. So tell me what you think about that. And then the other question I, I, I wouldn't mind your ear on is, and I know you, you've gone through PRI's courses, and I think about the internal and external obliques when they are fired up as the outside of that Coke can that is your trunk. And I think that to get a lot of people to feel them, an exhale is a really easy way for them at the end of that exhale. I always hold, hold up my hands. like I'm like, okay, exhale out all the air that you have in your lungs. And they'll usually get to about here and then stop. And I'm like, all right, do it again, go a little bit further and they'll get to here. And then they get a little bit further and it usually takes somewhere between five, 10, 15 breaths. And I wouldn't do it all in just one session, but over time to really get them to feel what a full exhale can feel like and to feel those ribs start to knit down onto the pelvis. And to me, that's, that's the can of coke. But then when we do a good inhale, on that stacked rib cage, then it's filling that Coke can up. And if you've ever had, if you ever been hit in the head with a Coke can, one that was empty and one that was full, the one that hits you when it's empty, it doesn't feel great, but you're okay. But if you get hit with a full Coke can in the head that someone threw to you at a party in 2003 and his name was Rick, you're kind of upset about it because it's a lot stronger. It's a lot more stable. Where does your mind go with that as far as inhale, exhale, breathing behind the shield, which is something we talked about, and yoga, go for it.
1: So I love the Coke analogy. I think that's excellent. Um, sometimes the way that I cue those things can be different with each person, right? But in general, the way that I feel about them, as you said, trying to essentially like screw out to get all that tension throughout, I love that cue. What I don't love about that cue is that I don't think most people truly understand what's supposed to be occurring during that cue. When people do that, I find that there's three points in the bottom of your foot that should always remain in contact with the ground and not just contact, but solid contact. (laughs) The base of your big toe, the base of your pinky toe and the center of your heel, right? And when you start to screw out What I find is that most people just play way too much on the outsides of their feet. Yep, And it depends on how crazy we really want to get with that person because feet can be an entirely different issue. You know what I mean? Um, But when when you're doing that, sometimes it depends on the shoes, the lifting shoes, bare feet, the whole nine. It can get really wild. But what I would essentially say is when I try to cue that, I make sure that the person's big toe stays down and it stays down properly. That is enormous, right? Then once that happens, as you said, yeah, the knee's going to go out a little bit, but I don't even like talking about the knee. In my opinion, if your feet and ankles are really, really solid, they're moving well, they're feeling the ground well, and then you start to get some hip engagement. And like you said, even more specifically, the pelvic floor, your knees, you don't have to worry about your knees. There is absolutely nothing to worry about at your knees once once you're doing that. So- when you feel those when you feel all that tension, as you said, I think um, that's where it starts to be very important when we say, like, stay tight, stay tight. Mm-hmm. Keep that sensation throughout. And we're gonna go into it a little bit later on about feel and how important these things are, but being able to essentially grade movement is so, so crucial, especially when loading up the bar with insane amounts of weight, because there cannot be a weak point in your lift or else you're going to just lose control you know if you're grabbing a weight that you could do 10 or 15 reps you can you can lose control throughout random moments of that lift and you'll be absolutely fine you know what i mean but when you're when you're going for a one rep max there is no time to just lose that tension to lose that control so again i would have them i would have them do exactly what you just said feel what we're looking for and once you can start moving and maintaining feeling that's when things are going really well as far as the rib cage and the coke can analogy so many people especially big-time power lifters and Olympic lifters they breathe way too much through the front of their body and they start increasing that arch now a lot of people they drive through that arch in order to get these lifts up and that's fine if you have any insanely strong lower back go for it Um, but that should not be the real only player in these movements right so what i love to have people feel i actually had a buddy of mine who might have logged in um a couple of buddies of mine that right now are following a very specific powerlifting program and they are absolutely killing every single lift just pring at rates that makes that make no sense okay (laughs) Ah, maybe a little bit maybe not either way to be honest that's going to limit you as well. If your technique is not right, it's only going to take you so far. You know what I mean? But when they're doing these lifts, my buddy who's been putting on a ton of size lately, really feeling great, he actually texted me and he said, dude, I can't set up for a low bar squat anymore. Now a low bar squat for any of you guys that don't know, it's you're not putting the bar across your traps. You're really getting it more, more where um, physical therapist is on Steve's shirt. Now, When you're trying to set up for that, it requires a decent amount of shoulder mobility. And when you start packing on that size and everything that you're loading into is that really big arch in your back, you can only reach back so far. And then what I told him was, when you're trying to squirm for that extra bit, you're not doing it with your shoulder, you're doing more and more and more with your back and you can't do this anymore. So I essentially showed him how to exhale get his ribs all the way down, turn that Coke can on like crazy, and then breathe into his back and the sides of his rib cage. Cramping, wild, weird sensations started to occur because that part of his body has been so ridiculously compressed for so long that he has actually, um, I would say, above average feel for someone who's never focused that much on it so I was able to coach him through this fairly easily through some texts and videos uh, in an afternoon. But he did a couple of breathing drills and set up for his low bar squat piece of cake. Now, if you are having that much difficulty setting up for a lift, good luck on that lift. <laughs> right? You know, how are you going to really move your body that well once it's loaded into God knows how much weight when you had a when you had a hard time even setting up in the first place? You know what I mean? And what a lot of people don't realize is that when you're trying to take your body really far in one direction and you feel like you're plateauing, the plan is not always, how can I get more? How can I get more? A lot of times the plan is, let's go the other way. You know what I mean? Let's see how far you can go this way so that when you do need to go that way, you feel like you're going a mile rather than just, you know, just like scratching and clawing for all these tiny little wins in this direction. And I think that's essentially what we did within his rib cage. Setup felt a lot more comfortable, more texts rolling in that week, PR here, PR there. Uh, not so sure that what I did is is a massive part of it, but I like to think so.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna give you 6% credit, no less. You definitely did good. So yeah. now let's talk about, we talked a lot about the forming and the queuing and everything like that. Um, How do you gain strength without sacrificing safety? There's always this constant risk-reward battle that everyone's having. So how do you approach that mentally?
1: To be honest, I think a lot of what we covered is a huge part of that because it boils down to technique. Are you doing things safely, right? If you're going for a little bit more weight today, if you do it with proper technique, your body is going to tell you if you got that weight or not. And it's just that simple. If, however, you're going to say, I don't I don't give a damn how I get this weight up. I'm getting it up. Mm -hmm. That is great for meat day. That is great for every so often during your PR day, your ego day. But if that starts to creep into your every day, every week style of lifting, you're a ticking time bomb. Um, So technique is massive. Um, If you're not doing like if you fail a lift, it should be your first thought should be, I got to clean up that technique. It should not necessarily be, oh, I should have grinded, I should have squeezed, I should have done this or that. You know what I mean? So I think that's really big trying to remove the ego and also just resting and deloading. Deloading is an unbelievable battle. Uh, I know that I went through it many times myself when I was working out. And my coach said, all right, this is a deload week. So we're not going to go higher than X on any of these lifts. So I want you to do some higher reps. And uh, when you get into that mode of just getting stronger, getting stronger, getting stronger, high reps is boring. It's not something that you're interested in. By the time you get to eight, nine, you're like, "You're like, man, this. I feel like I'm wasting time here. But there were weeks that I went into the gym and my coach said, we have to deload. And I said, I feel great. I don't know why but i think we can still lift heavy and he told me he said that doesn't i don't care how you feel i'm telling you right now that deloading is an extremely important part of this process and you are going to hit a wall so much earlier and so much harder if you don't give your body that rest so rest doesn't always have to mean take the day off take the week off resting can mean deloading and deloading does not mean hey, I know you're trying to bench 400 pounds, but this week we're not gonna go over 200, do 15, 20 reps, whatever, get out of here. No, deloading should be an amazing opportunity to find every little wrinkle that's wrong with your technique.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah.
1: Every little thing that you might not be feeling when you're muscling through those big, big reps, but then you start to slow it down, break it down, take videos of yourself. If you're not taking videos of yourself, you are not hard enough at your lift. Because I don't care who you are, you cannot feel every little thing as well as you think you can. Every patient that I have, when I say, hey, you're not doing this, and they're like, yeah, I think I am. I'm like, okay, let's do another set, and I'll videotape you, and I'll show you where you're stopping and where we need you to get to. You know what I mean? And that very, very often has that aha moment of, oh my God, I really felt like I was doing that. I can't believe I wasn't doing that. And when it comes to powerlifting and and Olympic lifting, I think deload week is like prime time to start cleaning those things up. It's also an excellent time to work on speed. So you want to explode that Mm. weight off your chest to that full lockout. You want to really, really work on that explosive ability Because when you're grinding out heavier weights, you may not look like you're moving it very fast, but you want that still to be happening within your body when you really, really explode the weight. So I would say those things are huge. Um, And also just like feel in general as far as knowing when to push that final rep and knowing when to call it. You know, (laughs) if you go into a set and you're like, I got to get six. What you should really be saying is, I got to get six perfect, yeah. right? Because if four is starting to break down, I don't care if you get six anymore. That means nothing to me. You know what I mean? If Hey, if I'm your buddy in the gym and we don't have some amazing goals and we're just trying to do some heavy lifts, okay, squeeze out the last two. Hopefully, you hurt yourself. Whatever, not the end of the world. But if we're getting serious here, you know what I mean? If you were getting serious and someone is truly coming to me saying, I need to hit these numbers and I don't know why I can't get them. About reps number five and six, if they're not flawless, you know what I mean. And I think that's a big, big thing that really kills people when they're writing down their programs or they're given their programs and they're like, All right, today we got to get three by six at this weight. And let's say the first two sets you got six clean. Now you're on your third set, and last thing you want to do is fail on that final set. You've done so good the whole day, you know what I mean? And you know what? That's fine. That's absolutely fine because if you cheat on those last two reps and your next workout you bump up because you think you got 3 sets of 6, mm. there's no way that the next workout's going to go even remotely well because now everything is going to be a little off, a little slow, and that's not how you're really really going to hit the goals that you want. So, a lot of a lot of that strength without sacrificing safety is really about coaching people Uh, You know what I mean? As well as the technique on the lift. But it's really about getting through to that person and understanding that this is a marathon. This is not a sprint.
0: That makes perfect sense. And that leads a lot into um, Tim Gabbitt was lucky enough. So anyone who's listening, Tim Gabbitt, I will say what he said about himself opening up his course. He said, I don't know how to boil an egg. But when it comes to load management, I know just about as much as anyone in the world. And what load management means is how much you should be increasing. An athlete really needs uh, to be ready to go game one or preseason game one, depending on how you look at it. They have a very hard start date. And the way that they get to that, so that they are at their maximum level of performance, is an art form and, and before him, no one was really doing the data crunching that needed to be done. Um, and he he's quoted as saying, and, and I really believe this a lot, and I think as physical therapists, people look to us and will listen to us a little bit more that if you're gonna push the performance lever hard, you gotta push the recovery lever just as hard. And that's where I, like, This is an aura ring. We talk about sleep a lot. Digestion and diet is really important. Creating that really nice environment for that person so that they can actually continue to progress without putting their body in uh, some sort of, even if it's a neurological deficit. And when I say neurological, I'm not talking about strokes. I'm not talking about anything, but the fatigue that your nervous system, the entire nervous system ends up going through when you're trying to grind out these hard lifts is something that needs to be talked about. It's not just the creatine phosphate that's in your muscles, which is kind of like the matchsticks that fire to give you that power and boom, the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system is an extension of that can get drained. And it's something that we need to talk about. And whether it's cold showers to get your HRV to come up or it's just better sleep, which is like the number one supplement in my opinion. Um, it's something that needs to be talked about. I think you did a really good job of, of showing that this is really what you believe about being able to step back. As the first sore that you opened up with was when someone put you into the position, your coach had you lift 135 and was like, no, nope, we're not doing it anymore. Like that's where really safety comes from is doing it correctly from the beginning. And when you have an energy leak, whatever it might look like, diving at it with a real detective lens is probably the overarching way to stay safe. Not just like, oh, just tighten up your core a little bit more. Like there's not one cue. It's kind of a spherical global answer that I think you gave, which I, I really respect. Did your mind go anywhere with that? Or you want us to go on to our third question, which is exciting? <laughs> No, the, the only thing
1: that I was thinking when you mentioned um, what I had, the story that I had told about, you know, 135 and having the guy tell me to stop was really just that I used to think technique only broke down when you went heavy. Yeah. But that's not necessarily the case. You know what I mean? A lot of people are beginning with poor technique. And I think that's, that's a difficult thing to tackle when someone realizes maybe I'm not as far along this process as I thought that I was uh, because it was definitely a major grind for me to get back up to that weight and I think one of the only things that helped me was the fact that I had many goals within my physical body and deadlifting a ton of weight was one of them. But if that was like that thing that I hung my hat on, it might not have been that easy of a pill for me to swallow. You know what I mean? I may not have been like, all right, yeah, what do, well, what do you have to say? What am I doing wrong? You know, I, I may have said, well, I got this far. How could you possibly say, you know, I'll oh, take the weight off the bar. But uh, I think that's really important.
0: I like hearing you say that, and I think you've already started to touch on some of this stuff, but what makes you different as a physical therapist?
1: I would say what makes me different is just my experience. I think it's a lot easier to get through to people when you're capable of saying, like, I've been there, I've done that, I've felt that. Now, I have, although I have an extensive history with athletics and sports, and I was a... uh, I was a pitcher in baseball, I played lacrosse, I played quarterback in football, I wrestled. Um, I was very fortunate throughout my career as far as injuries go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a pinch nerve in my lower back when I was- my, Sorry. Was
0: thunder? It's thunder, there's a huge storm coming through right now. It's gonna hit you. So I'm in the West Village, no matter uh, where you're up in the Bronx, wait three minutes. I promise you'll have the same bang. <laughs>
1: some heavy rain. I guess it's thunder's coming. (laughs) Well, hopefully the signal stays strong. We're doing well so far. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, like I said, I've been very fortunate with injuries, so I can't necessarily say, Hey, that ACL tear, I felt that, but what I've been able to say with people is if you want to get better at a specific sport or lifting that I have been there, I have been there. I have felt that, and I have grinded that out. And I can help you because I because I know what it's like to be within that battle. So I think that's really, really big. Um, I also think that the, the type of person that I am right now with how I'm able to coach people and really grind out the details, honestly, I wish I had someone like myself when I was younger. Because as far as athletics go, I didn't truly understand the science of the human body. And a, and a perfect example is... When I was younger, all I ever did, as much as I absolutely hated it, was run. I just ran. I ran about three miles almost every night. I did. A, I clocked it around my neighborhood. But what I didn't understand was, that's not gonna get you better at everything. That's gonna get you better at running, right? right? There's a science behind what you want to get better at. And I was fortunate enough to have natural ability on a lot of these athletics and running was helpful for me because all it really did was give me more gas in the tank. Yep. You know what I mean? Which, which is excellent. But if I really wanted to throw harder, shoot faster in lacrosse, hit harder in football, I did not understand what to do, how to do it, and why. Um, and, and to be honest, when I was in my sophomore and junior year of high school, I had a lot of friends that um, had parents that went to amazing Ivy League colleges, and they were already beginning to prep themselves for, I want that scholarship, I want to play on that team. And one of the things that some of my friends in high school were able to have was like personal trainers on the weekends. And I remember some of them telling me some of the workouts that they did, and I was like, that sounds cool, like running with a parachute, I just thought it was fancy. You know what I mean? I just thought they were doing it because it looked cool. I was not really understanding of what exactly they were going after and why. And I saw a few of my friends make some pretty serious leaps physically, Uh, more specifically within their speed, you know, that explosion, that first step. Um, And I was unable to increase that at the same rate that they were because I was just running. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. I think that's that's what's really big, is that just my my all-encompassing experience within these lifts, within the just these communities, and my experiences within these athletics, I think I can give people that thing that I was missing when I was younger. And it is so huge to realize, if you want to get better at this, this is how you do it. It's so much more efficient. Yeah it's not it's not a lot of time i got to do these things and then you start to see the results and then you get addicted and you just love it you know but if you're not sure about what you're doing you're not going to see those results as fast it's going to be a lot tougher of a grind and it just starts to feel like maybe i'm not capable maybe this isn't for me maybe my body's just not you know not going to be able to do what i want it to do because you don't understand the real science behind it so I think that's truly what makes me different as a physical therapist and, you know, when I'm able to pull stories from my past and tell people how, you know, when you're trying to do this, this is what you need to get better at and this is why. It starts to really, really paint a much larger picture for them where even if they don't understand what I'm explaining, maybe they don't even agree when I first start talking, by the end of my little spiel, what I'm hoping for is to see that change in their emotions where they're like, you know what? You might be onto something with that. Let's give that a shot.
0: That aha moment is always nice to see in their mind. It's like, it's when it happens when a new patient walks in and they're just total clean slate and like kind of poker, especially right now with masks. Like I have no idea what these people are thinking. (laughs) All right. Well, maybe they, but then you almost see it in their eyes and they're like, oh man, like I've thought that. And to relate back to what you're saying is you embody the why guess when we can assess and address again, like put it on my tombstone. I've been saying that like I look forward to the day when fitness, strength and conditioning and even physical therapy in a bit of a way, because unfortunately we are in a uh, in-network in model. You don't actually get to assess anymore. You get the first, but there's no... um kind of test retesting along the way, but why guess when you can assess and address is huge. And, and you really do embody that, which is great. But seeing those aha moments with people where they're like, I thought that, because I think everyone tries to make patients, not everyone, but I think that there's a lot of people that like the hierarchy, like I am a physical therapist. I have many credits and letters after my name. I know things and have read books books. And it's like, all right, man, but it's their body. They're there. And the best way that I can help them is to educate them about their body. So they're an ally to me. It doesn't need to be this kind of, um, like you're, you're my client or you're my patient. It's like, you're a student, you're a student along with me. I am going to learn. I'm going to share that with you. When I share that with you, I want you to process it. And when you feel comfortable giving me information back, I will incorporate that into your treatment plan. And it sounds like that's how you look at all of this as well, which is really cool. So how do you help people break through plateaus? We talked about it walking away a little bit coming in, but elaborate on that for a second.
1: Well, I would say specifically within athletes, what I like to do is I like to break down the movement that they're doing and show them that very oftentimes when someone hits a plateau, especially if it's a long plateau and they're like, And I don't know what I'm doing. I just cannot break through this. Usually the way that I like to explain it is, listen, this movement in a perfect world should require 20 muscles to be working together. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: By the way that I'm watching you move, it looks like you have eliminated a handful of these muscles from the party. So if you have 20 people trying to lift something, it's going to be a heck of a lot easier than if you only have five people who are trying to lift that thing. Also, if those five people hit a plateau, it's probably all that they've got. But if those 20 people are beginning to hit a plateau, it's going to be a lot more of a soft plateau. Hey, I need a little bit more from you, a little bit more from you. All of a sudden, we we bring that thing a little bit higher. You know what I mean? So oftentimes, I like to break down the science behind the movement. And I find that athletes specifically who have plateaued for a while – they they will give you their ear on that because they are very very interested in the science behind it what is the deal man why can't i get this you know so that's when i like to take those deep dives and be like listen we need X Y Z A B N C. we need all these things helping this is what that looks like um and then we start to go through the movement and very often we see that improvement the only thing that i would say is difficult within that within that sort of um plan mm-hmm. is that if you're dealing with an extremely high-level athlete, it's a bit more challenging because they're essentially going to say, whether, they, whether they're whether they saying it with their words, their body, or just the fact that it's true, it is they've gotten this far doing it their way. So you don't want to completely revamp the whole thing. They've gotten really, really far this way. Yeah. And even though that may not be perfect, it's working really well for them. So what I like to do is I like to say, these are the three or four muscles that you are really, really loading into, and that's great. We can keep them being the primary movers, but let's get a little bit from this guy. Let's get a little bit from that guy and see what happens here. I don't want to just erase everything that you've done. If you're killing it, more power to you, but I just want to add a little wrinkle. I want to throw a little bit extra on top. You know what I mean? as far as like a more amateur or beginner person who's plateauing, I may say, listen, let's go back to the drawing board. You know what I mean? Let's, let's just erase all that. Let's break this down. Let's really show you how this needs to be done. But as I said, with a much higher level athlete, slightly different approach. Um, and yeah, I would say that that just segues into, into feel.
0: Take it away. I'm curious. So why do you harp so much on feel? I love, I love that this question is going to be answered. Cause I, again, I trust people a lot more than they probably trust themselves. But people can give you – a lot of times I'm like, oh, you're going to feel it there, and they do. But at off time when they don't, it is really important to have that communication. So where does your mind go with that? Well,
1: the demonstration that I did earlier with finishing your deadlift with your hips versus your low back, right, that's a great example of what are you feeling? What is driving your movement right there? You know what I mean? Because sometimes when you watch somebody do a lift, everything looks great. But when you ask that person what's going on within their body, that's when all the answers start coming out. You know, if you watch someone do a squat and they're like, ah, it hurts when I squat, and then you watch their squat and you're like, that looks excellent. Yeah. Just ask them what they're feeling during their squat and you will immediately know oh, 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 okay. So here's the reason why you're feeling pain. You don't even feel this part of your body. This is a major player in the squat. We got to get you to feel that, you know what I mean? Um, So I think that's really big within all aspects of fitness. And I I actually did a video on our Instagram recently about it, where even from like a bodybuilding or or an aesthetic standpoint, when you're trying to do a lift, we all know you, you know, a bicep curl, right? We all know that you want to get that big stretch and you want to get that big squeeze. The reason behind that is because you're allowing that muscle to fully stretch and fully contract which is going to allow that muscle to engage at its highest rate you're going to get the most out of the exercise and all that's great but what's really really important i think for athletes and for everyday people is to understand the fact that the two easiest parts to feel on that bicep curl is that massive stretch and the massive squeeze Mm -hmm. the middle ground that is is where we live our life. That is where the majority of our movement takes place, right? So feeling a little squeeze at the very end is honestly pretty easy. Feeling a massive stretch at the bottom is also pretty easy. The middle ground is the gold. That is really where you're going to either take that bicep pump and feel like you need to drop the weight before the bicep's gonna tear. Or you're gonna run through some reps and be like, yeah, I don't know, I felt some squeeze. I think I feel a little blood in there. You know what I mean? And when you're going through that middle ground, that middle portion, that's where we that's where we say it's grading your movement. And not only does that give you a significantly better connection with your body, it also, I think, dramatically increases your safety while exercising Because you can feel so much sooner when things start to feel funny. And that is really, really big, uh, especially when you're trying to push out those last few reps, when you're trying to get to the finish line, whatever it might be. So I think um, for people who are bodybuilding and they want to look a specific way, even if they're not bodybuilding, if you just want to look great with your shirt off, let's say – In order to truly engage everything the right way, you have to feel that entire range of motion or else you're not really going to get as much out of your workout. And for certain areas of your body, like the bicep curl, it's such a piece of cake. But for other areas of the body, it's unbelievably crucial to keep this concept in mind because not everyone understands the anatomy of this random muscle versus your bicep right everyone knows this is your bicep okay great you know i bring the hand up i feel the squeeze fantastic but for example we did a video recently on just crunches and if you can truly imagine the anatomy of of just of just your rectus going from your ribs all the way down to your pubic bone you want to feel that full full squeeze so we got to get that pelvis we got to get that rib cage we got to get all of these things to move to shorten that muscle the most that we possibly can Feeling that whole process down into that final squeeze, or else your crunch is going to be a lot like this. Yeah. Which, hey, if you do enough of them, your abs will get sore. My biceps would get sore if I did enough of that. But I think that right there with feel, that's where a lot of people think that their actual limitation is their genetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and my buddy have been working out you know, for three months and his body changed so much and mine hasn't, okay, some of that might be genetics, absolutely, some of it could be diet, could be rest, it could be a lot of different things, but what it could also be is the fact that your friend is connecting with his body on an entirely different level than you are and you're only doing that bicep curl because all you know is that that's a bicep exercise and if I do them, I'm gonna get bigger biceps. What you really need to understand is what's actually happening and if you are really feeling that, and you will take the most basic workout and it will feel dramatically different. You don't have to always go for the craziest bicep curl you've ever seen. You can hit all the basics in the gym. And if you get a decent night's sleep and eat properly, you will be absolutely amazed what your body can do if you're feeling all the right things properly.
0: Yeah, you're doing a good sales pitch right now for mindfulness, which is something that's totally lacking. I'd being yeah. president, for anyone who kind of doesn't, these when I say these words, this is how I'm talking about them. But meditation is an exercise, is a brain ex- exercise primarily for focus. And you're either focusing on, you could be focusing on a flame, you could be focusing on a mantra, you could be focusing on seeing your thoughts and acknowledging them, focus on your breath, which is a great one. All of that is to bring you into that present moment, which that present moment isn't a place that many people spend time in throughout 24 hours. Carrying that over towards whatever task you're doing, it could be walking up the stairs, it could be sitting on a park bench, it could be sitting at the ocean, whatever it is, but being present in that moment that is outside the world. So it's almost like the doing the, uh, we'll say doing the leg press. Is or the stair master is meditation, but taking that and putting it out into the real world is mindfulness. So, stair master meditation yeah. going upstairs, actual stairs is a mindfulness practice. And it's nice to hear you talk about that because I think a lot of times people use their workout as a time to zone out. I want to be told I have a high stress job, I'm constantly having to be thinking, I want to just like not even think, let my mind kind of wander, you tell me what to do, I come out sweaty, I can post on Instagram as all as well, and, and I think we can do better than that. And it sounds like you want to do better than that, and that feel, being present in the body during that moment is a great, it, it is a bang for your buck. And that's always what we're kind of looking for, is if I can, let's say that I wanna connect with nature, and I want to work out and I want to get some vitamin D and work on my balance, I can go surfing. That's a great bang for my buck. If you do exercises and you're mindful and you're present and you're feeling everything and you're feeling it correctly, which is great. You have bang for your buck. Like I'm not saying you don't need to meditate. I think meditation is great to do every day. I think it's going to be hard to talk me out of that, but it checks that box in a different way, in a fun way, and in a really cool way. And the other thing is I think, For us, as we see this a lot, like how often do you have someone say, oh, I feel this. And they say the complete opposite way where you wanna feel it. You know, you're hoping they're gonna say glute and they say back, which is probably like the easiest one that happens. But if you can really get them to stack this thing, stack this rib cage up on their pelvis and really get their external internal obliques to fire up and really get them to breathe deep down into the groin and fill up their belly and their back and to really be present in that and stable in that and everything set, you can change their feel quite a bit but they can't give you that feedback if you don't ask them to answer the question.
1: 100%. I think when you ask people that question, that, that's really when this started to become such an important aspect of what black people, it wasn't really a planned thing, it happened through experience. Because what I first started to do was, do you feel that? Do you feel that is not the right question. Because as you just said, if you're doing an exercise where you're hoping the person is going to feel it within their hip capsule and their glute, mm-hmm. and they're feeling it in their back, and all you ask is, are you feeling that? They're going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm feeling that, yeah. right? Because they feel something, a really, really strong sensation. But more specifically, where do you feel that? Yeah. The amount of times that I ask somebody, where do you feel that? And I immediately see them start checking in. Like, where do I feel that? As you said, we're in New York City. People live stressful lives. It's 2020 and nothing else needs to be said other than that.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. Banner year.
1: <laughs> and, um, you know. Like you said, sometimes people like to zone out, but here's the thing, as far as meditation goes, and I guess a lot of people have their different opinions, but in my opinion, one of the easiest ways to meditate for someone who is not experienced at meditating is to intentionally focus with every fiber of your being on one thing. That is actually a heck of a lot easier than don't think about anything.
0: Yeah, totally. Don't
1: think about anything, good luck. I can't not think about anything, not on call. But if I'm working out and the only thing that I'm thinking about is where am I feeling this? Why should I be feeling it here? How can I feel that even more than I already am? I am eliminating everything else from my mind without even noticing it. So I've had those discussions with some of my clients or my patients as well when they're just like, oh, I'm sorry, like I'm out of it. I I try to explain that to them and I'm like, listen, I totally get it. I understand that your brain is probably in a million different places, but we have 20 minutes left. And I think that if you gave it everything that you had, you're going to leave here feeling incredible because you're going to get the most out of what we just did, and you're also going to indirectly clear your mind a heck of a lot better than you're probably doing right now. Exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah, and that and that's a that is a huge misnomer that I think we get is that that meditation is just supposed to be sit there and see what happens. And there are noting techniques where you're supposed to have some sort of acknowledgement of thoughts and feelings that come through. But in general, it is actually a focus exercise. The gateway that we use to get people who've never done mindfulness training is to just read three pages before they go to bed and read three pages when they wake up. First thing that they do, because reading is very much a good example of how the mind goes should go during meditation meaning you start reading you start at the top of the page and somewhere in the first three sentences if you're lucky your mind's gonna wander and then you bring it back and then you pick it up and then you keep on going and then your mind wanders off again you bring it back you keep on going your mind wanders and then you realize oh like i kind of missed the last two or three so then you go back and you reread it but no one gets frustrated with that. They're not like, oh, this is stupid. Like, I can't believe, like, I'm so bad at this. Like, you're just a normal human being who's reading a piece of paper, who lives in this world right now that's 2020, that's got a lot of stuff going on. You're not hard on yourself when your mind wanders during reading. Why would you be hard on yourself when you're trying to meditate and your mind wanders? Everyone's mind wanders, that's fine. And everyone has crazy thoughts. And that's fine. You don't have to always engage with them, but it's nice to see them and then just bring the focus back to the breath or bring the focus back to the flame or bring the focus back to the mantra, whatever that is. And it's nice to hear you say that you kind of double-edged sword them with it. Like we're doing a mindfulness thing. You're going to feel it. It's great for fitness. And it's just, instead of saying like, don't focus on anything, which I don't totally understand why that would be particularly helpful. Like if I want you to relax these muscles here, it's actually a lot easier for, for you to switch on the opposite muscles and just kind of drive your fist down. That's always been my athletic coaching and I don't think it's going to change too much. So anyone who's out there in our audience, thank you. You've been a great audience with feedback so far. Ask any questions you have right now, Mike, tell us where people can find you any closing remarks, anything like that. And then this has been really, really fun
1: uh yeah thank you first of all thank you so much for having me it's been it's been excellent um i have done a fair share of public speaking with uh different corporations we've done ergonomic presentations and and things like that we've done some we've done some teaching groups as well at at our gym and some of the trainers have joined in so i don't feel like a total amateur at this but i still feel fairly new and this was uh you made this whole process excellent so i appreciate that for all you guys who are who are in here you can ask any questions that you want about anything that we went over. Or as I mentioned at the very beginning, if there's something that you logged on for and you were really hoping that we were gonna harp on that, but we did not, throw it in there right now. And I don't mind giving, giving my two cents on whatever it is that it might be. As far as where to find me, um, Movement Minded Physiotherapy is my company. I co-own it with my business partner, Lev Borokov, And you can find us at movementmindedpt. That is our tag for Instagram. Movement Minded Physiotherapy on Facebook. If you want any more information from us, you can go to our website, www.movementmindedpt.com. And also, you can just uh, email us at info at movementminded.com. Or if you want to email me um, individually, you can email me at mike at movementminded.com.
0: Beautiful. Any closing remarks before we sign off? You did a great job. You covered every base, in my opinion, but anything you want to share. Congratulations on your uh, input. This is a big weekend for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. I just got my son baptized and uh, man, it's been quite a ride. It really has been. But as far as closing remarks, I just, again, I appreciate being on here. It's really good to talk with like-minded people. I, I really believe in my heart that we are at the cusp of the cutting edge of our field. I know so many people like to kind of throw those things around like, oh, we're the future, we know the most, we're the best. Um, And to be completely honest, so much of this new age information that's coming out there, I know that you have taken some of these courses, PRI, AIM, this is the type of information that our field is, this is the direction that we're heading in. My business partner and I took some of these courses years ago and we have been grinding these things out ever since then. And I know that I have another decade of grinding these things out to go before I master them. But just these concepts, these ideas, I think that this is really, really where the human body and the way that we treat it and look at it is going. And I I hope that we can do more stuff like this in the future and start to get some more eyes on this information because unfortunately, many of my patients, when I start to get going, I can just see them like, what? I have never heard these things before. I have never thought of these things before. And as happy as I am to be the person that opens their eyes, I want the average person to start understanding these things so that we can all take all of this so much further.
0: Yeah. And I couldn't agree more. It is, I, and maybe this is just bias showing, but I think that we are at the front lines of what the, whenever it happens, what a quality healthcare system will look like based on prevention, based on movement, based on health coaching, based on functional medicine and what it can bring. And I think that everyone's starting to come together. And that's why you're seeing people who talk about digestion talking with a strength coach, and you're seeing people that talk about sleep and they're talking with the yogi, and we're talking about breath work. And it, the reason that everyone's talking about it is because it works. And it's, and it's not, unfortunately, passive modalities all the time. And that's why I think they've fallen out of favor. But I think that they're coming back with very good reason because it works. And I think especially at this time in our lives, in this year in particular, we need things that work. We don't just need to be doing the things that we want to do because this is where we end up. We, we end up with, unfortunately people are incredibly unwell and then a pandemic that comes in and really shows people that it's more than just the way you look in the mirror. And I'm not shaming anyone whatsoever. Like you could, there are plenty of healthy, healthy people that maybe don't look the way that they want to look and they're fine, but there are some real things as far as people's resting heart rate their blood pressure, their blood glucose, even just start with those three. Like if you can find someone that resonates with you, that can help you get those three three things in a really good category, you're way closer to being on the right side of this than on the wrong side of this. So with that, Mike, I will thank you one more time. It has been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. And for everyone else here, thank you so much for being part of our movement towards movement. We will see you next week. Take it easy.